Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and it is now the ninth day of July 2016, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin. And hey, didn't Bob Melvin manage another team? Wasn't Bob Melvin manager of the year before he arrived in Oakland? What team was that? I believe that was the Arizona Diamondbacks. So guess what we're going to do? I've been accused of bias towards the Red Sox and having my focus be too much Red Sox-centric, too much Giants-centric. So I'm going to do what every other podcast does. I'm going to show just typical desert bias. And I'm talking snakes. I'm talking Arizona Diamondbacks. And I'm talking to my guest, Jesse Friedman. Now, Jesse Friedman is the host of the Web Gem podcast, who's recently opened up their guest list and found room for your pal Sully. And I was on there. And I'm, I'm talking to Jesse Friedman, who's also the host of D-Backs Daily Show and has written all sorts of things all over the interwebs. And you can check him at thewebgem.net. Here's my host. My host. Jesus, he was. Most of his show, he's a guest on my show. <laughs> Jesus, I'm not going to edit that out, ladies and gentlemen. Jesse Friedman, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sully. It's good to be with you today. Yeah, well, look, you and I were, were chatting a little bit. We're approaching All-Star Game Weekend, and uh, it's always interesting to you know figure out what's going to happen come the All-Star Game. Uh, do, who are the Diamondbacks All-Stars? Are they sending Goldschmidt? Who, who's, who got the call? So, yeah, they, they did get Goldschmidt in. He was voted in by the players, actually not by the fans. Right. Uh, Brandon Belt, Anthony Rizzo, a lot of other guys were voted in ahead of him, but he got in uh, because of the players. Right. Uh, their third baseman, Jake Lamb, was in the final vote, but it was announced today that he ended up in fourth place out of the five guys, so he's not going to be in the All-Star game. So it looks like it's only going to be Paul Goldschmidt for the Diamondbacks in the All-Star game on Tuesday. Yeah. I, I like Jake Lamb. I think he's a nice player. I mean, I, I, I see a lot of the D-backs uh, you know, when I watch Giants games with my dad out here. But he is uh, – look, at this. let me put it this way. I didn't mean to, to, uh, to be raining on anyone's parade right now. But the fact of the matter is this has not been a pretty year for the Diamondbacks. But, man, oh, man, Jake Lamb – has been one of the few bright spots of this team. And it's really remarkable when you think about the fact that, all right, who leads the league in triples? That would be Jake Lamb. That would be Jake Lamb, Who yes. leads the league in slugging? Jake It would be Jake Lamb for the who National Who leads league? the league in OPS? Jake Lamb. I mean, this <laughs> is something that's amazing, that when you say, who's who are we going to put on the team, who has the highest combination of on-base percentage and slugging, and you can't find room for him on the team? That's that's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Who got picked instead of him? 
Uh, obviously, in the National League, third base is pretty stacked. You've yeah. got Arenado. You've got Chris Bryant. Right. Matt Carpenter was selected, but he's hurt, so he was replaced by the shortstop of the Cardinals, Oledmus Diaz. They yeah. needed at least one representative, so Jay Clem wasn't an option there. Um, so really, just because of a stacked National League at third base, uh, Jake Lamb, despite all those numbers you mentioned, despite the fact that he's leading the entire National League in OPS, is, is snubbed from the All-Star game. And there's not a whole lot the D-backs fans uh, can do about it at this point. Man, that is amazing. That is really, I mean, I, I, I knew he was, this gives you an idea. I mean, maybe this is why, maybe I'm, maybe I'm exactly expressing why he didn't get in. It's because he's... Here I am. I follow the game pretty damn closely, and I didn't realize he led the league in OPS at this point. He's mm-hmm. nine, as of this recording, we're recording this on uh, Friday afternoon. His his OPS was nine nine six, yep. and that's what you ask a genie for. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, there are there are elements of this D backs team. Goldschmidt, who is one of my favorite players in baseball, is having. You know, we got off to a a, tr- a bit of a Slow start, but he's you know he's back to putting up the great numbers. Uh, Castillo is having a good year. Uh, Segura is having a good year. Lamb is obviously having an outstanding year. Uh, Chris Owens was having a good year before he got hurt. Uh, Tomas has been up and down, but he has some pop, and you know he still has a lot of promise. And Drury has had some pop, and he seems to be playing well. And Chris Herman has had some big games, and yep. yet we're looking up, and this is a team that could very well lose 100 games. And, um, and, I mean, what is going on with this team? There's some kind of curse, I tell you, and it, it happens at Chase Field. If you look at the, I don't know if you've seen it, if you look at the D-backs home road splits, the yep. difference is is ridiculous. They are 23 and 17 on the road, which is really one of the best road records that you're going to see in all of baseball. And then at home, they are 15 and 32, 15 and 32, 17 games under 500. That's unbelievable. That doesn't even make sense. No, it doesn't. You know, and I mean, obviously the, 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 the biggest thing is the, you know, anytime you brought in, when this season began, I guarantee you people weren't thinking that the starting rotation was going to be a gigantic issue, but mm-hmm. that's that's been the case. And you look at some of their splits on my baseballreference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth. <laughs> and yeah, I mean they are their their winning percentage on the road is 575. I mean, look, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something right now. This is this is really uh, pivoting pivotal. Uh, moment right here in the history of the podcast here. This is going to be really <laughs> riveting stuff here. But, okay. They played 47 games at home as of this recording. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's just say they went, what, uh, uh, 23 and 24. Okay. okay. 23, let's say one game under 500, 23 and 24. That means they would be, they would have 46 wins at this point. Yep. And... Only 41 losses. Now, that's not a great record, but if that's saying that if they were just just one game under 500 at home, they would be uh, they would have a winning record and be on the cusp of the wild card, which I'm sure is exactly what Dave Stewart and Tony LaRusso and everyone were were thinking when they got into. They would be on the outside looking in and needed just a good August to really jump to jump over. I mean, instead, I mean, my God, there's 16 games behind the Giants. 
Yep. So, I mean, that, that's a pretty resigned yep you just gave me there. <laughs> I mean, what that's is all the... I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, as someone who knows the, the D-backs well, what is the mood there? What is your thoughts there? And are we just chalking this up to what happened to the Padres last year? Is that ill-advised pushing your chips to the center of the table? I don't know if you've ever been uh, to Chase Field before. I have um, not, no. Okay. Um Chase Field is a very uh, lax environment. A lot of people f- call it more of a mall than anything else. Uh, they played up well with uh, with fan friendliness, with family friendliness. There's a lot of cool restaurants, a lot of places to go. But as far as the actual game goes, Chase Field is one of the, the more dead environments to watch a baseball game that you're ever going to see. Fans don't pay a lot of attention they don't really get very loud except for in very intense situations. It's just kind of a very lax place to play baseball. And I can't help but think that that has at least something to do with the fact that they are 15 and 32 at home. It's just, it's, it, you go to that place and you could be the only one cheering at, at any particular moment. There just aren't a lot of fans that show up to the game and the fans that do show up to the games don't really make noise. So I think that could be one thing. Another thing about Chase Field is that it's very hitter-friendly. And Zach Greinke, I was actually at the opening day game when they faced the Colorado Rockies, and Zach Greinke got completely destroyed on opening day. And that's one of few times I've ever been to Chase Field where there was a lot of energy, where people got on their feet when it was only the fifth inning in a big situation. And Zach Greinke got completely destroyed in that game. And ever since, the D-backs pitchers have struggled to an enormous extent at home. If you look at their home road splits, obviously we talked about the record, but if you look at their team ERA, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but their starting pitching is actually very good on the road. But at Chase Field, something's happening there. I think it's, it's probably gotten to be a mental issue at this point where pitchers are very comfortable pitching on the road. But at home, almost every single time you go to the ballpark at Chase Fields, you're going to watch a performance where a guy goes maybe five innings, gives up about five runs, and that's that's about all there is to it. Obviously, we also mentioned before uh, the injury bug. A.J. Pollock was a very important part of their team last year. He's been gone. He's likely to miss, if not the entire season, pretty much all of it. Uh, David Peralta is another guy who was a big part of their team last year. He had an OPS over 900 last year, and this year he's missed most of the season. He's played a little bit, but not up to par with what he did last year. Chris Owings has missed time. Ruby De La Rosa, who seemed to be starting to figure things out in a rotation spot, has also missed a lot of time. Um, Their offense has just gotten worse since last year, a lot of that due to injury. And their pitching, believe it or not, with the additions of Zach Greinke, and Shelby Miller, that has also gotten worse. And you put those two things together, and you're going to get a team that's even worse than it was last year. That's amazing. I mean, that's really when you stop and think about what they invested, not just money-wise, but also in terms of talent and what they pulled with the Shelby Miller trade, which I said on your podcast. um, I mean, even if Swanson never makes it to the major leagues, it's already a terrible trade because the – what his value as a trade chip, Swanson's value as a trade chip, was so high, and what they got out of it is a guy who has been nothing short of grotesque. Um, I, I I have up here on BaseballReference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth, and I, I saw 
that they, on the road, the Diamondbacks have a positive run differential of 13. And at home, they have a negative run differential of 57. Yep. Sounds about right. I mean, that's an 80-run swing between home and the road. That's, that's, that doesn't make sense. Not at all. No, that's what's been going on the entire season. At Chase Field, they're just a completely different team. They don't play with a lot of confidence. They blow a lot of late leads. Uh, their bullpen isn't comfortable. Their starters aren't comfortable. It's just not a place where the Diamondbacks seem to enjoy playing right now. You know, I, 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 would, I thought of this. I, was, I actually had to look this up because I had to double-check it. Um, I'm going to make a bold prediction here. Okay. okay. My bold prediction is I don't think the Diamondbacks are going to play in the playoffs this year. Okay. Is that bold? Well, look, by by saying that, <laughs> by saying that, this statement becomes true. This is the longest playoff drought in the history of the Arizona Diamondbacks. True. Because true they be. they had the first year where they stunk, and then they spent a lot of money, brought in Randy Johnson and everything. They won 100 games their second year, and that was the year they lost to the Mets. And then they were in the World Series. They had the back-to-back years. They went to the World Series, and they lost to, um, I think it was the Cardinals in the Division Series. And then things went to hell. But things shot back pretty quickly. In 07, they got back to the League Championship Series, uh, despite a negative run differential. And then things got bad again. And then things got good again. They got back to the playoffs in 2011. They almost made it to the League Championship Series. But this... You know, that appears to be kind of a a weird blip, that 2011 season where they won the division and, and lost to Milwaukee. Um, and this will be the longest stretch, and it would be a great test for Diamondback fans who were, you know, four, uh, was it, five years into their existence, they had three division titles and won one of the greatest World Series of all time. <laughs> Yeah, I find it I find it funny. You mentioned 2007, you mentioned 2011. Those are the last two times they've been in the playoffs. Yeah. And what's very interesting about both of those times is that the D-backs had very little expectations placed on them in both of those years. In 2010, the year before that 2011 run, I believe they they won about 70 games. They won 65 and, in two, and 97. 65. There you go. And in 2006, I don't believe they were very good either. Uh, they had a losing record. I mean, it wasn't as good. It was 76 and 86. It wasn't as okay. bad, but it was, you Okay. Know. So in both of those seasons, they were kind of projected to be a middle of the road, probably more on the below average end, mm-hmm. and they surged. And that's a trend that you've seen with the Diamondbacks over these last few years. If they have expectations placed on them, that is when they tend to falter. You've seen that this year. You saw that in 2012, after they had went on that run in 2011, they were right around 500, I think. And yeah. the same in 2008, where they were right around 500. It's funny. You brought up, I just clicked on 2008, and I'll tell you why. Um, that, that year, that was the year, and I'm, I'm sure people don't remember this, but the, the Diamondbacks made the LCS the year before. They lost to the Rockies, but the Rockies, that was just weird. The Rockies were just on an unbelievable run. Yep. But it really looked like, because the, the Diamondbacks got off to a great start in that year. And they won, they went on like a big long, yeah, they went on like a seven-game winning streak early in the season. And it really looked like that they were a team that was like, okay, they learned how to get back to the playoffs, and now they're going to just, they, they had were filled with young players, they had young talent, they had Mel managing, and at one point they were um, uh, 12 games 
above 500. Uh, they had a six and a half game lead, and it just looked like they were going to run away with the division and maybe put together a, a mini dynasty. Mm-hmm. And then at one, and then things just absolutely fell to hell. And at one point, they fell under 500 in like September. They had to win. They had to win out to even have a winning record. And that yep. was right around the time I moved to Los Angeles, and the Dodgers had acquired Ramirez from the Red Sox, and the two teams went from you know they uh, they just passed each other in the standings, and there was a one point where the Dodgers they I think they they took like five out of six games from them or something crazy like that. Yeah, and yeah, I think you're right. That was kind of the moment that. I was thinking, man, the Diamondbacks are going to be this great team for the next bunch of years to, oh, man, they may not even finish 500. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's really why next year, if this team came back and bounced back, I really wouldn't be that surprised. Because even though they're hitting such a low right now, next year they're not going to – people aren't going to expect anything out of them. And the D-backs as a franchise over these last few years really seem to prefer – to go under the radar, to go unnoticed, rather than to respond to to lofty expectations that are placed on them. I'm going to say something weird. Um, and, and, and do you think that I, I think that the Diamondbacks with Granke have a similar situation that the Angels had with um, Pujols? That mm. I think that they the Angels really wanted Pujols after the 2011 World Series. And everyone in their cow thought he was going to go back to St. Louis and be a Cardinal forever. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, why don't we just offer him 10 years? I mean, we're going to, why don't we just blow it out of the water? <laughs> and I mean, he's not going to take it. But I mean, you know, we offered him 10 years and everything. And then I I think that Grinky was, I was absolutely, I would have bet my kid that Grinky was going to go back to L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he, they Diamondbacks, you know, put up the big offer, and then he went to Arizona. I mean, I actually had said, I had had some guests on, I said, I know exactly where Grinke is going to go. He's going to go whoever offers him the most money. And that's how you sign Grinke, is you say, what's your biggest offer? I'll give you that plus $1. And boom, yep. he'll make the move. Do you? Th- I get this weird feeling that the Diamondbacks didn't expect him to sign it. <laughs> yeah, if you, they actually did uh, an interview with a lot of their front office people that talked about how everything went down. Because like you said, a lot of people would have bet their kids that Zach Greinke was going to the Dodgers or maybe the Giants, but the Diamondbacks were not seen as even uh, a contender in any light at all at the time. Um, I think it it really happened when Ken Kendrick, who is the owner uh, of the Diamondbacks, came to Derek Hall, I believe, on the day that it happened. It was like the morning of, and he said, hey, I found a way that this can work. And so they gave Zach Greinke a call. They asked or his agent to call. They asked him, if, is it too late? Have you already signed somewhere else? And he said, no, it's not too late. And Greinke was actually uh, excited that the Diamondbacks had reached out to him because he liked the way that they played the game earlier uh, in the season before when the Diamondbacks and Dodgers would obviously play each other uh, kind of a lot. And, and from that moment, the D-backs, they offered a paycheck that nobody and, and the entire universe thought they had the money to offer. And even though they had a lot of young players on their roster, their payroll wasn't maxed out. 
Uh, they theoretically had the money to do it. I just don't think anyone actually noticed that or expected them to follow through with that. And uh, and they pulled it off. And after a, a really rough first month in Arizona, Granke has has settled down, yeah. has become the pitcher that all of us really thought he would be. And he seems to be a guy, even though he's 32, and this contract is going to take him through his age 38 season, which has a lot of red flags, especially for the money that he's going to make. Uh, he seems like a pitcher who could age well because he's not he's not a really a high velocity guy. He's not a guy who relies on his arm as much as as a David Price might or a guy of of that type of caliber. Uh, so Zach Greinke is a guy who could be. Um, maybe a Greg Maddox type for Arizona where he should pitch, maybe not as an ace, but as a near top of the rotation starter through the life of the contract. Or Mussina. I think that's a, he could be a Mike Mussina type, who's one yeah. of the few pitchers I can think of who was great at the beginning of the contract and great at the end of the contract, um, mm-hmm. what he signed with, with New York. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I can't stop but think about, you know, the the, you know, you, I mentioned the Padres when they went for it a few years ago. And then I remember, remember a few years ago, the Blue Jays went for it big time and it didn't work. And yep. Miami went for it big time. It didn't work. And the Angels went for it big time. And the Red Sox went for it big time. And it fell short. You know, I mean, I mean, it's one thing like, you know, the Red Sox in 2011 losing on the last day of the season It's a, and or the Angels losing late in the season. It's another thing when it just turns into like what happened with the Marlins and Padres and Blue Jays where it just exploded in their face. Hmm. And, and man, I just can't help but think that, you know, something similar is happening there. What is the what is the temperature? I mean, what what are people are people mad or is it like what you said about Chase Field? Are they, are they indifferent or are they, are they mainly Cub fans who are there? <laughs> yeah, when the Cubs are in town, it's going to be mostly Cubs fans at, at the stadium. Um, but I think Diamondbacks fans are very frustrated. Um, the ones who really care, they do have their set of diehard fans, just as every team does, even though there's not going to be 45,000 of them at the stadium every day. Um, there's a lot of frustration. This was a big year for Arizona. Obviously, as you mentioned, it's been a while uh, since they've made the playoffs. I think a lot of a lot of people were really excited for what Arizona could be this season when they had uh, spring training, uh, their spring training practice sessions, which are here in Arizona because Arizona is a spring training destination now. Um, there were a lot of people that showed up. There were a lot of people out getting autographs, getting really excited, watching the team's practice um, and getting excited about this season. And it's been it's been very disappointing, I think, for Arizona. I don't think they're as much in line with a lot of, you know, the teams you mentioned, like the Padres, like the Marlins, who really went for it. I think their moves were very reasonable Um, and they might not seem it might not seem like it. It might I might seem crazy for thinking that Um, I think that Zach Greinke was exactly what they needed. Zach Greinke was the number one starter that the Diamondbacks didn't have, haven't had for years. I thought he was the guy who would hold down this rotation. When they went out and they paid all that for Shelby Miller, I was cautiously optimistic. I didn't like the idea of getting rid of everything they'd gotten, but I was very excited that the D-backs decided to go all, all in. Because there's no reason to go pay $206 million for Zach Greinke and not follow him up with a backup starter who's nearly as good so that they can really go after this. 
And even though the whole thing is blown up in the Diamondbacks' face because a lot of players have played terribly, if you compared last year's statistics with this year's statistics of almost everyone on their roster, you're going to be astonished. You're going to say, how does this guy go from being a a middle-of-the-rotation starter, maybe near the top of the rotation starter, maybe with a guy like Patrick Corbin, to being a guy who has a 5 ERA or with Shelby Miller a 7 ERA? Mm. They've been the victim of a lot of unprecedented just very strange drop-offs in players. And I can't help but think that even though it seems crazy what they did, I can't help but think that if these players were performing to the caliber that we've seen them perform in the past, I can't help but believe that the D-backs would at least be in the hunt for a playoff spot right now. All right, two more quick questions, and I'll let you go here. Um, I had on um, Phil Hecken, who's a uniform critic, and I talked to Todd Radom, the great design the sports designer and he's designed uniforms and logos and everything mm. we were all very critical of the new look <laughs> but i guess i can say the new looks because i think that they wear a different uniform every day <laughs> pretty much pretty um, much I, I maybe i'm nostalgic but i i'm i prefer the louis gonzalez specials that they wore in the 20 in the 2001 world series if for no other reason that it brings back memories of a championship mm-hmm. uh what are your thoughts of these uh this this awful zoolander fashion show that goes on in phoenix and and other places during the year <laughs> yeah uh there were a lot of people before this even went down that really liked the purple and teal Everyone, everyone in Arizona wanted the D-backs to go back to their old colors that they had right when they first had their inception in 1998. Apparently, that wasn't possible, so the D-backs went with this new look. Why is that um, not possible? Just go go get the goddamn uniforms and put them on. Why, why, is, that, why is that not possible? I can't I tell interrupt you. interrupt you there. I, I, I mean, you and I, I think, are on the same page. Like, what do you oh, mean? Oh, no, I understand. Yeah, I... I heard from one source that the MLB commissioner had told Arizona they weren't allowed to wear those colors again um, because the Colorado Rockies have a very similar uh, color style. They're in the same division. Uh, That's really the only explanation I have for you. They did bring back teal, which has now become part of the Sedona red um, and the kind of like brownish color uh, that they have that apparently is supposed to be like kind of a a sand type of a color. Um, So teal is back, but they didn't bring back purple. Um, and maybe it was for that reason. Maybe it was for another reason. I, I really don't know for sure on that. Oh, let me just let me just not. I'm not saying BS to you. I'm saying BS to that logic. Is I saw a game between the Rangers and the Angels, and the Rangers were wearing a red hat, red top, white pants. <laughs> the Angels were wearing red hat, red top, white pants. And I had you just had to look at the pants because one was wearing gray, one was wearing white, to know who was what and who was where. And I made I'm mm-hmm. not a geography major, but they're in the same division. Mm-hmm. So you're right. So you could throw a little splash of purple in there. People <laughs> won't. You know, it's not like I wish I could. I wish I had a picture of that game because it looked like an intramural game. All right, man. Hey, look it. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. You know, a little longer than I thought I would, but um, where do you, where do you want to plug? Where can people hear you? Let's see. I would Jesse N. Friedman, which is probably the best way to reach me. Uh, you mentioned my website at thewebgem.net or SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash thewebgem. All right. And you know you can find me at sullybaseball.com. Like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Hey, Jesse Friedman, thanks for being part of the show. 
This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the 9th day of July, 2016. I'm yours, Paul Francis Sullivan. Jesse, what can people call me? Sully. Damn right. <laughs>